Welcome to the Blueprint Podcast, where we throw out the old blueprint so you can become who you were always meant to be. I'm your host, Jason Smith, and if you haven't already, make sure you share this podcast with your friends on social media and tag me in it at Today, I have a very special guest for you, Christine Olson. Christine is a registered social worker and psychotherapist who provides specialized online psychotherapy services for men and couples in Ontario, Canada. Christine has over 10 years in the helping field in areas of addiction, mental health, and men in conflict with the law. After working with men in these areas, Christine found commonalities in the male experience that were important to speak to. Christine, Welcome to the Blueprint Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. I've been wanting to have a conversation like this for a while where we really dive in and talk about men and their experiences and the challenges that they're going through and some of the highlights of what somebody who is, they're struggling, they're really going through it, they're having all these challenges and they want to get into therapy, but they're in that place with that struggle of there's a stigma attached to it. They don't want to be vulnerable. There's some sort of weakness associated with it. And so I'm glad that we get to have an hour with you today to really dive in to all of this. Christine, tell us who you are, who you help, and where you're from. My name is Christine Olson. I am a registered social worker and psychotherapist. I am living in Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada but I provide online therapy for men throughout the province of Ontario. I specialize in working with men. I do some work with couples, but most of the content you'll see online, you'll see is about men's mental health. And I talk a lot about anger management and men's challenges with emotions and relationships. And that's a passion of mine. And that's where I live. <laughs> no, that's amazing. So what made you want to start working with men as a general population? What inspired you to do that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange thing, a woman wanting to exclusively work with men in therapy. It definitely was a journey to get there. Before I opened my practice, most of my career had been falling into jobs that were with men. Even my first internship as a social worker was an addiction facility for men. And it was what I really didn't want that internship. I was given it and it completely changed the trajectory of my career. And that's how a lot of those internships go. Right. <laughs> yeah. You just get placed and now you got to deal with it. Yeah. But I was really grateful for it because it was, again, it, it changed the trajectory and exposed me to, to something else that I became really interested in. So I went on to work in addiction counseling and work with people with mental health issues. I ran men's groups. And then I eventually ended up working in a jail, but most of my career was working with men in conflict with the law. But the last five years before opening my practice was inside a correctional facility. Yeah. <laughs> what were some of the challenges that you faced in working with men who were in conflict with the law? It's a lot different than what I do now in terms of therapy, because people are calling me and they're saying, hey, I want to work with you. Yeah, they're intentionally right? reaching out to you. So before that, I would work with a lot of mandated people. So people who mm -hmm. had to be there because of the court system or when they're in jail, they're in crisis and you're the only one that's there that could maybe support them and help them through something. So it's a different type of relationship. You're often dealing with people who haven't gotten to the place that they want to admit that they're having really severe challenges, right? They're still in the phase of really contemplating it and coming to terms with that, which is a lot different than what I do now and people coming to the table and saying, 
I know that there's some issues here, if that makes sense. No, it really does. And what was the process of working with someone who is struggling with that level of self-awareness to get them to the place you're guiding them, you're working through and getting them to this place of being able to say, yeah, you know what? I can actually see that there were some challenges in my past life or currently that I'm experiencing, and I just don't know how to talk about it. I It's definitely meeting them where they're at. You don't want to be pushing them and telling them you shouldn't be behaving this way or this is how your life should look. It's really just trying to exist with them in that contemplation. What about it is making you think about this and really trying to sit there and pick it apart with them and embracing that. Yeah, it's, it's really hard, right? Because you're getting to that place of thinking about thinking. And I think for so many of us, that's such a challenge because we're so deeply rooted in our patterns of behavior that it can be really hard to zoom out for a second and be that casual observer of your own life and figure out like, why do I feel the way that I feel right now? Why is this experience pulling these emotions out of me and I'm behaving in a way that maybe I don't want to behave, but I'm so stuck in this pattern that I can't get out of it. Mm -hmm. And to get to that place where you say that this is a problem, you also have to acknowledge that there are things that you maybe feel regret about. So that's the hard part about taking responsibility is now you have to live with the guilt. You have to live with all the things that you shut out. And so that is a huge hurdle that maybe some people turn away from and they, what makes them stuck. No, I'm really glad that you went there because I feel like that's such a common emotion, like core emotion mm -hmm. or thought or feeling or ruminating thought of this overwhelming, it's two things, right? The feeling of shame or guilt mm -hmm. over a singular experiences, a singular experience or multiple experiences over a lifetime that have added up to what you're feeling in this moment. Yep, exactly. And then seeing your life through a different lens brings up a lot of that. And I think yeah. shame is probably more accurate. Yeah. So what is shame? How would you describe that? The way that I've understood it, I don't even know where I heard this, but guilt is I feel bad and shame is I am bad. Yeah. There's something wrong with me inherently. It's not just I did something wrong, which is a completely different experience. And is there something wrong with me inherently? I think the answer is always no, but I think it's important to understand too that shame has a purpose, right? Shame is, it's just examining, does shame apply here? Maybe. I think shame has a purpose overall. If I've done some, if I have done something really bad, it makes me accountable to my relationships, the community that I exist in, to other people. But often where shame's a problem is we hold shame where we shouldn't. And what does that mean? Where would we be holding shame where we shouldn't? Hmm. Is that carried shame where your caregivers or somebody early on in your life had their own experiences and problems and issues and trauma, and that was passed down to you? So you're taking on other people's stuff and you're taking responsibility for other people's feelings, their behaviors, and the way that the world exists, and you're putting it on yourself, right? What is theirs and what is mine? Yeah, I think that's really hard to get to because so much of that is subconscious, right? So we have this carried shame that we're bringing into our adult life and, and you always have this sense or this feeling and it's down low in the gut 
and you carry this with you and you don't know where it came from, but it's just, it's this chronic thing that exists inside of you. Mm -hmm. And so what is something that you would do with somebody that you're working with to get them to identify something that's so rooted in your subconscious? Hmm. Uh, so I primarily do what's called emotion focused therapy. So that's grounded in attachment theory, but what I'm really trying to get people to do is turn to those avoided emotions or those really scary emotions that they don't often look at, which means deepening their understanding of what they're really feeling. You're coming to me for anger, but what is that? <laughs> What's underneath all of that? What is the attachment injury, for example? What is the hurt? What is your longing? What is the need that has made you respond in that way? Can we look at that? And that's obviously a, a process of, of right. getting there. It takes some unpacking, but getting to the core emotion and looking at it and sitting with it and sitting with a person that you've built a relationship with. So you have, so building enough security with them that they feel safe enough with me to actually look at it and then helping them sit with it and having a new emotional experience and they can feel a lot more resilient. So in the future, when they're having these feelings, it's not just, I need to shut down my anger, right? It's being able to go, oh, I'm hurt. I feel hurt and I can say that. It's, so, it's such a powerful place to get to because a lot of times that anger, we think it's anger and we're definitely maybe carrying some resentment on, on top of the anger and it ends up being this overwhelming feeling of grief. And now that's not everybody, but I think for a lot of people, you're grieving all of these things that never happened in your life. There were all these opportunities, all these potentials, all these things that maybe should have happened, the ending of relationships, the ending of jobs. And there's, so there's a lot of endings throughout this process. And like you said, we just maybe didn't develop the resilience or the tools of resilience to be able to navigate all of that. And it can get us to this place where we feel so stuck and mm -hmm. so angry and so resentful. But underneath of that is this grief of all these things, all these potentials that never happened. Mm -hmm. And if, if you're listening right now, I want you guys to know that there's so much more ahead of you than there is behind you. And this is the opportunity right now, if you're starting to have some realizations or some experiences as we're sitting here talking about this, that reaching out, getting help, finding somebody that you trust, therapist, counselor, coach, whoever you go to for any type of counseling is going to be to your benefit so that you can get to this place where you recognize that there is a whole hell of a lot more ahead of you than there is behind you. And you just have to find the tools of resilience to be able to tap into exactly that. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that I get a lot in my comment section is because I talk a lot about attachment styles and, but I talk about it from the aspect of you're building a better relationship with yourself and not necessarily trying to figure out all these other people. I think a lot of people read about attachment and they use it as this tool to figure out what are they thinking? What are they feeling? What are they going through? Instead of turning it back on yourself and saying, what am I thinking? What do I want? And so I get these comments of where are all the men that are going to therapy? I, I can't find them. They don't exist from your experience, and obviously this is what you do for a living, are a lot of men going to therapy and do they exist? Yeah, I see them. <laughs> <laughs> Where you find them, I don't know. That might be for someone who is a, a more a dating coach. 
yeah. where do those men hang out? I'm not sure. Yeah. Why, men, why do you think that would be the perspective though? Um, because less men go to therapy, maybe. I don't know. That's, I don't know. What do you think? Why? I think a lot of times we fall in line with the type of person that we currently are. Hmm. And it, it's why I focus so much on the self-love aspect of dating and relationships and interpersonal relationships, because the more you work on you, the more you level up in your experience, your knowledge, your know-how, your capabilities, your you know, your skill sets and communication and developing relationships, you begin to move away from all the things that you're, you've grown accustomed to, the things that are natural for you, the things that you've already embodied that are part of your natural world. And you begin to elevate into this next level, not elevate from the place of being better than, just different, right? Because now you have different skills, different knowledge, different capabilities, and you open up a whole new field, a whole new environment of people that you now have access to. And mm -hmm. I always tell people, if you want to find somebody who resonates with you the most, then you have to really become that person and embody that type of person in order to have that type of connection. That's so interesting. I'm going to come across these people and recognize them for what they are when I've done the work on myself. Otherwise, I'm just falling into the same types of patterns, being attracted and comfortable with the same type of people, the same types of behaviors. Yeah, it's familiar. Yeah. And what's familiar is easy. Mm-hmm. And then we know what to expect from all of that. Yeah. And then we get stuck. So last month, you posted a blog post on one of the most relatable topics for men, which is loneliness. And of mm -hmm. course, 2020 really spotlighted for so many of us, all of us really, different areas of our lives that were challenging, that maybe we needed to look a little bit deeper into. And it brought up a lot of things that we didn't even know existed because we were just really going through the motions and getting through life and kind of in that survival state, not really recognizing it. And then 2020 happens, everything slows down. And now you have this obvious thing that's going on in your life. Tell us more about the blog post itself and how men can begin to combat loneliness. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about the unique experience that maybe men have with loneliness. And of course, everyone experiences that. But what is it for men that have brought them to that place? And so some of it might be those emotional and relational skills that a lot of men have challenges in. For example, like you can feel lonely while being in a relationship. It's not about being around other people. Loneliness is about connection and disconnect. Do you feel seen? Do you feel heard? Do you feel listened to? Are you able to be your authentic self within those connections? That's what makes you feel attached to the world and your important people. And when you don't have that, you're disconnected. You live within your internal world and I guess that only works for so long and can become super lonely, right? For um, sure. I think something I added in that blog post too was wondering how much men prioritize those relational connections, how women sometimes will, how they feel successful is finding a relationship and where they feel valued and worthy, whereas men might lean more towards feeling successful and valued and worthy in other ways that 
has to do with self-reliance or career success, for example, things that are more independent and isolated. So they may not prioritize those things that keep them connected. And they may not have built the skills to maintain those connections. What do you need to do to feel emotionally connected to other people? Do you have those skills? Are you able to be comfortable with vulnerability so you can have deep relationships with people? Because again, otherwise you feel separate. And how would you define vulnerability? What does that look like? It's one of those hot topics on social media that everybody talks about. And so I just want to bring a little bit of clarity to that. And I think there's a lot of definitions out there. I like to think of it as uh, being exposed, like without your defenses, without your armor, it's like being naked. And you might automatically think that's a negative thing, but I think that's the value in strong connections and healthy relationships, especially with a significant other, is that you get to lay yourself bare. You get to be authentic. And how well are you able to do that? And I think one of the things that I've written about too is reassuring men that does not mean that you are exposing yourself to the entire world and every single person. The skill of vulnerability is a, a choice. You don't have to go to work and tell your coworkers about how sad you are. You can, if that's something that you're comfortable with and you feel connected with them and you find it yeah, beneficial. Socially but, appropriate. Yeah. But it's not, you don't have to turn into a different person. It's something you can turn on and off. It's something that you have to figure out in relation to what your boundaries are with different types of relationships and different types of people. I like that you brought up that there's just skills that are lacking. And when we say this, it's not saying that you're defective or that there's anything wrong with you. It's that you were exposed to certain things when you were younger, and that is your family of origin. That's what you experienced. You know that these things are true for you. This is your normal. And then if you don't experience really anything outside of that, like going to a friend's house and seeing how a secure family may operate within their family unit, you don't have anything to draw off of. So you make it through into adulthood. And you think that your normal is normal. And so we escape adolescence without gaining these valuable skills and primarily being communication and the the ability to be authentically yourself, I think is probably one of the greatest challenges because we mask who we are so that people can't, so that we're not vulnerable, so that we don't drop our defenses because you learned very early on that if you do that, it's going to be used against you. You're going to be hurt. There's going to be some negative consequence of this. On the flip side, when we're in dating relationships and we're with someone of the opposite sex and they've had some sort of family dysfunction of their own and they have their own family of origin and different experiences that they've had, and you try to be vulnerable with them and give them something because it's a common statement. I just want you to be vulnerable with me. Okay, that's great. I, I get that. However, if I give you something that you've never handled before, you've never dealt with, you've never experienced, you don't know what it is, and it's overpowering and it's emotional, and I, I give that piece of me to you, you're going to drop it because you don't know what to do with it and run away or move away from the experience or so an argument ensues because now everybody is overwhelmed and dysregulated. And like you said before, it's getting to that place of having those tools of resilience and then understanding the emotional capacity of the person that you're with on can they hold what you're about to give to them. Right. 
and I think that's a two-pronged conversation for me, maybe even three, but okay. we're talking about heterosexual relationships. One thing I would say is if you drop that bomb, essentially, of here's something that w- that's really difficult for me, I'm sharing it with you, and that person doesn't receive it well, there's an opportunity to talk about hurt again. There's a larger conversation to go, how you responded really hurt me, Right. So do you have the ability to come back in that way to go, that response didn't work for me, right? Sometimes we get the, I don't even know what the word is. We we get the courage to talk about something vulnerable and something difficult, but we haven't thought that much further. We don't have the skills to boundaries or to ask for what we need. We're just dropping something that we know is emotional and scary and we don't know what we need from them. We know how we want them to respond. And we don't have the ability to then respond when someone doesn't respond well. Right? Because that's not okay. Of course, that's not okay right. for someone to reject what we're saying. The other part of it is we ask men to be more open and vulnerable. Sometimes they haven't worked out what all it takes to do the emotional labor with that experience. So there's been conversation I've seen online where, oh, I forget who the person was, but they said, women complain that they want you to have that. And then just like you said, they drop it. So what do you want? That emotional labor piece is when you haven't worked out the details, right? So have you identified why that experience made you feel that way? What's the feeling? What Have you named it? What is the inner experience? What is the meaning of it? Is that connected to something else? Have you learned to regulate yourself? So are you relying on the other person to regulate your emotions and figure out what that experience was like for you? Are you waiting for them to put together the pieces? That would be when you're putting your emotional labor on someone else. Because really the ideal situation is you each are bringing to the table, this is my emotional experience. This is why it was really difficult for me. This is what I need from you. And then you're not relying on them to figure it out and to soothe you. Even though those might be pieces in a healthy relationship for you to soothe each other and for you to help each other have insight, you should also just be able to do that on your own as well. Yes. So what does emotional regulation look like if we're doing that together and separate? In its basic form, are you able to bring yourself back to equilibrium. When you're feeling something really uncomfortable and difficult, are you able to work through that distress so that you feel calm again, right? So we think of things like deep breathing, exercise, the various ways that we cope and get ourselves calm again. With a partner, it might look like touch. Do you need a hug? It might look like talking to your partner in a soft voice. It's okay. I'm here. Right? You're helping bring them down back to that calm state. And maybe when you're on your own, you're having those conversations in your head where you're talking to yourself in a nurturing and calm way. And I love that idea of co-regulation where it can be that 15 second or 30 second hug where we're intentionally embracing in the space in the same time at the same time with the same intention. And really what you're doing is you're cultivating trust mm-hmm. with one another. 
we're getting to that space where, yes, we can regulate each other. Yes, I can do this on my own, but I feel better when I'm doing it with you in this moment because we needed some sort of repair. We needed this. We were both dysregulated. And this is our opportunity for that timeout. We're going to have this moment together and be able to navigate this. And it sets you up for the future of being able to, okay, now we have a tool that we can go to when we're both in this experience or singularly we're in this experience to be able to navigate these difficult situations. For sure. It's creating a sense of security and a sense of safety. And those regulating tools too that you do with each other are things that can work when you also don't have something to say. You don't have the right words. Yeah. And you're not always going to have the words. I think so many of us struggle with that, this ability to articulate, what am I feeling? I, I don't really know. I've never put words to what I'm experiencing right now. And so it can take a lot of time for someone to get to that place, to be able to name what it is they're actually feeling. Yeah. And that's a process. I think a really common thing that I come across is encouraging the men that I work with. You don't always have to have the name for it. Maybe that's a skill you'll work on in the future is to be able to name yeah. all those difficult feelings. But maybe for now, it's just recognizing my body feels like this. I feel pit in my stomach. I feel really overwhelmed. My face feels hot. Okay. You're recognizing some sort of overwhelm. That's all you really need to know in this situation. And when you feel that overwhelmed, then that's a sign that you need to step away. For example, if you're with another person and it's a conflict, but no, so you that, don't. Yeah, go ahead. No, that, that stepping away. What, what is something that somebody could say? because it's going to feel like a rejection to your partner or that you're right. trying to be evasive and you're not, what's something that you can say to remove yourself from a situation that's really uncomfortable? Which is a common anxious type of thing, right? Because yeah. the anxious person wants to move away. That's going to make them feel less distressed. The anxious person feels rejected and like you're leaving them. So before that happens, it is good to step away when you all can't you're no longer able to use the thinking parts you're bringing to work through and problem solve. You're both overwhelmed. So you need to provide reassurance before you step away, which you should provide reassurance. So whether it's, I love you, whether it's this, is, this conversation is really important to me, but I need to take an hour. I need to sleep on this, but I assure you, I will be back here and you're important to me. Provide that reassurance, then step away, right? Yeah. I love that you said an hour because we're putting a time limit on it. It's not that you get to escape for four days and say nothing and don't return any text messages or anything like that. This is somebody you care about and you want to be in relationship with and you want to be able to repair the issues that, that arise for the both of you. And so knowing that your partner, like we said, this is more of the anxious and avoidant dance, knowing that your partner has more of an anxious attachment style and telling them, hey, I need an hour. I'll be back in an hour can stop a lot of further arguing within that same context of that single argument. It doesn't fix anything in the future or anything that happened in the past, but in the moment it allows them to say, okay, cool. He's going to come back. Yeah. And that's part of building a secure attachment is building trust by them realizing that they can rely on you, right? Yeah. Giving them a time frame says I can rely on you. And then as the avoidant, you need to come back in an hour when you yeah. said that you're going to come back, not an hour and five minutes <laughs> because they're going to be counting. There's mm -hmm. no doubt about that. It's funny. How can men begin to combat 
the loneliness that they're experiencing? What are some things that they can do? I'll start with what you don't do, which is complete and total self-reliance, <laughs> which might be your instinct. Okay, I feel lonely. I know I need to do something different. So I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to research. I'm going to walk through conversations in my head. I think one of the pushes I would give for someone is to find the connections in your life that are, even if they're not exactly where you want them to be, where can you go? That is like one step towards making the connection better. So whether it's a spouse or your mom or your friend, reach out to any sort of connection that you have, even if there's it's some way severed. Yeah, that's so hard. It is creating and cultivating a support system, I think can be really challenging because it goes back to finding people that, that you trust that have shown that they're willing to be present for you. I think a lot of the experiences that men have are generally, they tend to be there for other people, but other people aren't necessarily there for them. And Mm. I would encourage those men who experience that to find better friends right? We want to get to a place where we're finding people that they're curious about you. They ask you questions. They want to know about your life, your experiences, what you're about. There's somebody who may even inspire you or you aspire to be like them. Those are the types of people that you want to start inviting into your life. So one thing that you can do is really take a mental inventory of your friendship group and your support group and see who's been there for you in the past and what type of people they actually are and where can men begin to create new connections? Where do you guide them to? It's really amazing. Like the, over the years, the men's mental health movement, I've seen so many groups crop up and more men trying to find support. So that's definitely one avenue. If you're not ready for that, listening to things like podcasts, finding books where people have common experiences and those are not true relational connections but they are at least exposing you to experiences that can make you feel less alone because you realize wait other people have experienced this and maybe that will give you the the push to reach out to a real live person or reconnect to those people that, like you said, in the past have given you that evidence that they are willing to be there for you. So having a conversation with those people or writing them a letter, that's even making a, a baby step towards that. Can you write down how you've been struggling and share that with the most trusted person? And yeah. No, I love that. It's, really getting out and doing something new. There's got to be some novelty to the experience because you you already know the path that you've been on and where that leads and the experiences that you've had. So if you want to have a different experience, then you have to branch out and do something different. Mm. And so for many people that can look like go to a boxing gym or jujitsu and put yourself in a place where other men who are doing things that you're interested in doing And they're already going to have that level of discipline because they're involved, they're into it. And it's somebody, again, you meet people that may inspire you and that you ultimately want to be like. And there's just so much that goes into doing any type of sport or activity where you're interacting with other people. 
you just learn so much through that process. It enhances your communication skills, just your relational skills in general, how people, you begin to see how people interact with you and how they feel about you and you create these new experiences. So you get an opportunity to be somebody different than who you've been because mm -hmm. you're putting yourself in this new spot. And it's, I'm not going to be this guy that's sad, lonely, angry, frustrated all the time. I'm going to be the person that's like inspired and supportive and helpful and kind and is interested in other people. And so you get curious, you ask questions and you dive into someone else's experience a little bit. And I think that makes a massive change in your overall well-being because you begin to feel supported. And new experiences is completely different than going back to your old ones where maybe you unintentionally fall back into the same behaviors and same patterns, having those going to those brand new areas where it's brand new people, you get to start fresh. Yeah, absolutely. Because who wants to be in those old patterns? Those are <laughs> Those are tired, man. I don't want to do that anymore. So another thing that you talk about on your platform is anger. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to find, first off, what is anger? And is it a healthy emotion or not? I don't know that any emotion is good or bad or healthy or unhealthy. It's really how we experience it and interpret it and act on it. Because all we want a range of emotions. That is the human experience. So none of that is right. bad. I think of emotions as logical. They always make sense in context if we put them in context. Usually when someone is coming to me for anger, it's because they don't like how they behave when they're angry. They don't like how strong their anger is. So how, anger, how angry they get or they don't like how frequently they're anger, which usually has to do with irritability. So there's some sort of like pers persistent mood issue. So that's where it's problematic or quote unquote bad, but it isn't the feeling of anger. It's interesting. So moving from a space of irritability, I guess it's not that far of a transition to get into anger or to be reactive to a situation, does it often come from a place of just not feeling considered? I think, yeah, anger comes a lot of the time from unfairness and the need to protect and to fight. I like the idea of unfairness because I think a lot of times we have these ideas or expectations of how things are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And we get really tied up in a story that we tell ourselves about our place in the world, who I am, what I'm about, and this expectation of things that are supposed to happen. And then when it doesn't happen, it it's unsettling, it's dysregulating because you were so focused on that end goal, this particular thing that was supposed to happen that you expected to happen, then it didn't happen. And so I can see if you don't have the emotional skill sets to regulate yourself how that could be dysregulating. So how can we be more in tune with the story that we're telling ourselves? Maybe a key question is what meaning have I made of this? There you go. What is the story that I'm telling? If when I'm reacting with anger, after you've calmed down, put some thought into it. What about that thing was so upsetting? What was it about that was hurtful, for example? Or what was I fearful of? 
those are two really common ones. Fear, hurt. Is there anything in your anger that is connected to those? Why is this so upsetting? Which seems like a simple and obvious question, but it's one that I'm constantly asking. I have to slow people down and go, wait, why is that upsetting? Because for me, that might not be upsetting. For you, your unique experience, what you have to bring to the table, that is uniquely you. What about for you is upsetting? It, why is that upsetting? And they might go, isn't that upsetting for everybody? It's upsetting because of this. It's obvious. Not. It's so interesting because the example I give all the time, and you hear this in the personal development world all the time, you're driving down the road, you're on the highway, you're at high speeds and somebody cuts in front of you, cuts you off. Now you're angry and you did this to me. How dare you do that? I can't believe that you cut me off. That's ridiculous. You're unsafe. You're all these things, right? And it could just be that their kid or their dog is puking in the back seat, And so they got disrupted for a second in the cabin of the vehicle that was in front of you that cut you off. There, there's a multitude of things that could have happened. There could have been a vehicle on the far right hand side of them that you couldn't see that almost hit them and caused them to come into the other lane. But you made it about you in that moment. You got angry because somebody did something to you. And it goes back to they probably felt unsafe because something potentially tragic almost happened. But right. it goes back to you give meaning to your experiences, all of them, and that's all you. Yeah, exactly. What is uniquely you that you're bringing to the table that is allowing this to exist? And is that a pattern? Yeah. For someone who's persistently angry, is it all attached to the same thing? Is there something that feels too scary to look at. What is that? Hmm. Be curious. <laughs> no, that's true. Why do you think it would be or feel too scary to look at? I think it sometimes comes back to how you believe yourself to be worthy and valuable, how you might receive love. Who do you have to be and behave and present as to receive that? And so when something threatens that or goes against, that might be a trigger for you. I posted something the other day on this, like when a man doesn't want to talk to you about his feelings, one possibility is that talking about feelings doesn't bring him relief. And he actually might feel an emotional hangover and he wants to separate himself from you. Because it doesn't bring relief, it brings shame. His belief to feel worthy and connected to you and to feel safe with you is to present himself as competent and strong. And so in those times of vulnerability, you feel like it's a connection. You feel like you're doing something good. But for him, it's a danger. It's panic mode. It's shame. And a lot of times it can be perceived as criticism. Mm -hmm. even though the other person is trying to be helpful yeah. and that's the place that they're actually coming from a lot of the times, but, and <laughs> I hear this a lot, right? And so I have to remind people, remember tone. So your tonality <laughs> and your body language is extremely important because if your intention is to give something to somebody and it's a critique of some sort, which you believe is going to be helpful in the relationship, there's different ways that you can say it to get your point across. And you may unintentionally be saying it with that tonality of criticism 
frustration, anger, resentment, irritation. And then the other person receives that as I'm not good enough. I can't please you. I can't do anything right. I, I can't do anything that you want me to do. You deserve to be with somebody else that, that can give you all of these wonderful and amazing things that I clearly can't give to you. And it just becomes this tragic accident in the relationship that, that could have been prevented. And so that's looking at it from two sides. Are you sensitive to criticism where oh. someone may not be coming at it that way, but because at your core, you don't want to be perceived as incompetent. So any sort of anything that comes at you, you're taking as criticism. Yeah. And also, is your is that person coming at you in a certain tone? Or can they say it in a different way? A lot of the communication problems that I might see between couples is that someone is saying, you need to do this differently you need to change this rather than saying, Hey, when this happens, it makes me feel this way. And we talk about that. This is an us problem. How can we figure this out together for our relationship rather than this being, you need to change. What can we do? Cause this isn't working for me. It's a different tactic, but yeah, it could be on either side. For sure. I think it's really important to sit back and take a breath, deep nasal inhale in, long exhale out through the mouth, and then ask your partner, hey, when you said this thing, how did you mean that? And that's you as the man stepping into your personal power and acknowledging and giving the other person the benefit of the doubt that they probably didn't mean it the way that it sounded. And so you can just simply say, how did you mean that? and use a soft tone, right? Use that comfortable tone that you're loving, you're kind, you're supportive. And what you get back more often than not is something very different than the way you initially took it. Yep. And that's trust and security that's happening. And that was a really another good example of regulating each other, right? I'm noticing that you're saying it in this tone, which means this thing is really upsetting for you. That's why you're saying it to me that way. So I'm going to talk softly and more evenly and maybe that can help us examine this rather than match your tone which is very challenging. you mean i'm not supposed to match their energy <laughs> you can but it won't end well that's that's always the the relationship advice that you see all over social media just match their energy okay oh. good luck <laughs> you, you may not like it but it's always in reference to text messaging and the anxious attacher not getting as many messages as they would like to receive and that constant contact. And so if you don't message me back right away, then I'm just not going to message you for hours on end. How about that? And so we think we're matching their energy in that case, instead of just asking for what we want, which would be additional communication throughout the day. Okay. How much additional communication throughout the day? What's appropriate? Compromise. So, something like that. Yeah. If you can get there. From all the things that we talked about today, is there anything else from just challenges that you've seen or experienced in your practice and working with men that we didn't talk about today? Mm. Trying to think here. I think like a controversial topic that I don't always get into is the idea of masculinity. It's really, it's a really touchy. It is. Because it can be really a part of someone's identity right? That they find 
makes them valuable and worthy, right? So I always find that challenging to talk about, but is really important when we're talking about therapy for men or men's mental health, because your experience as a man is going to color your experience, your yeah. whole experience. And and that definition of masculinity and what that means to you, because there's going to be traditional masculinity. Right. And then there's the other men with man buns that go on ayahuasca journeys and scream in the woods and, and do all this stuff. And so that's a different type. And then there's the men who do lean more into their, their feminine energy that can be considered more effeminate in their nature. And I think that there's a place for all of that. And really at the end of the day, what it is, you being comfortable with you. So for each different version of masculinity and all the definitions that we want to create, you can have as many as you want, but knowing who you are, where you're going, what you're doing and why you're doing it, and then being so settled in who you are in your frame, right? And then not letting people challenge that of you. It's no, I can see how you might feel that way about me, but this is who I am. I know who I am. I'm so good with myself that I don't have to take what you give me and I don't have to personalize that. Mm. I don't have to make that part of my DNA, but you are more than welcome to have your opinion and think the way that you do. And then you go on about your day, about your life, because you know who you are. And what you just described was authenticity. Yes. Which I think my challenge with some of the conversations with masculinity is people sometimes misinterpret their masculinity or sorry, they misinterpret their automatic responses and the social constructs that they've adopted as, well, this is me. This is my authentic self, which isn't true until you've examined why do I believe what I believe? Why do I value what I value? Why is this so important to me? If you haven't examined that part and really take a look back, are there parts of myself that I've had to stifle throughout my life to please others, especially my parents? If you haven't looked at those things, then I can't, I, it's just a really important part right? So I think that's a challenge for me when I hear things about masculinity being natural. I don't care whether you're feminine, masculine, and where on the spectrum you hit. I just want you to examine that right. and get to your most authentic self. And whether you come back and land somewhere on that spectrum or in the same place, great. But let's examine it first. Yeah, it's really, it comes down to asking yourself, who do you want to be? How do you want to show up in the world? How do you want people to perceive you? And what are the steps that you can take to embody the type of traits that you admire the most? So I, I think for a right. lot of men, it's important to find other men that you admire, write down their traits, who they are, what they're about, what they do, how they became successful, whatever successful means to you. And are there any qualities that you don't currently have that you would like to emulate or learn or hone in some way, shape, or form to become that most authentic version of yourself? And the pieces that you're going to often find are communication skills, self-regulation. You need to dive in physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually and fill each of those cups each day because now you're cultivating self-love in that process. And this is all about, again, building that authentic self, knowing who you are, where you're going, what you're doing, and why you're doing it. And then being so good with you that you don't personalize the things that you're given 
by other people that are outside of your sphere of influence. So you get a comment on social media and that hurts your feelings to the degree that now you're making videos and you're making other comments. Yeah, that's not a good place to be. That means somebody has control over you. You don't have self-mastery. Somebody else is controlling the way that you think, act, and feel and the way that you react in the world. And that is outside of masculinity, right? Masculinity is one piece, but all parts right. of yourself and your identity, do those fit? And are you comfortable enough to not be defensive or absorb other people's takes on that? No, I can't accept anybody else's take. Mine's the only one that's right. Gosh, darn it. <laughs> That'll create loneliness. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you want to alienate yourself, be the smartest person in the room, yeah. right? It's the quickest way to to turn people off or turn people away from you. Did we touch on ruminating thoughts? I don't think so. Yeah, so a lot of men come to me, and I was one of these people that growing up and into adulthood, I had a lot of ruminating thoughts and just constant overthinking. And that overwhelming feeling of not being enough. That I, I didn't know that's what I was experiencing. I just knew I didn't feel good. I didn't feel right. I didn't feel like me. And of course, now I'm in a very different spot. And so I'm curious, how would you guide men through uh, overcoming or managing the ruminating thoughts? I know there's going to be lots of answers for this. My instinct right. is to go for looking at those thoughts, what is the theme? And again, like I do with emotions, deepening your understanding and the meaning of why those things keep coming up while also being able to practice stepping into your body. Because though it's important to examine and to analyze and figure it out, sometimes it's just plainly that your thoughts are unhelpful and you need to learn to switch think body. better thoughts no sometimes it's that you're dysregulated and you're right. overwhelmed so how can you calm your body how can you learn things like mindfulness how can you do progressive muscle relaxation tuning into your body and the sensations and what you're feeling and trying to regulate and calm yourself that way because at some point that you have to learn to recognize your thoughts are unhelpful. You're no longer problem solving. You're no longer fixing or being reflective. You're just going in circles and being um, harmful to yourself, right? It's like, like a self-abuse it can turn into. It absolutely can. And it just tends to create or continue to build upon the shame and guilt that you're already experiencing and that overwhelming feeling of that I'm broken, I'm not enough, or I'm defective in some way, shape, or form. And uh, those of you who are listening, I want you to know you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you and you're not defective, but there are some skills that you didn't learn that you need to learn. Yeah. Which is just the, that's what life is about. Yeah. You're never going to get to an end point where, okay, I'm done. There's always going to be something that you can be better at, that you can improve, but that is literally the journey of life. How do I become more and more authentic? How do I become more and more present and do the things that guide me? And so I can find a balance between 
self-love and self-guidance and also existing in the world to be in connection with others, which I think is undervalued. Your connection to others is also, I think, a critical thing in this life, your social bonds. Absolutely. It's teaching yourself to be that you are capable, competent, and consistent, that you can do this. And for those of you, again, who are listening, you're going to have moments in time where you've done the work, you've gone to therapy, you continue to guide yourself through this process. You may even dive into some self-education and self-healing. And then five years down the road, something pops up and it brings up that original feeling that you thought you already worked through. This is why I often say it's not healed, it's healing. You're always in a state of becoming, but what you come become is always up to you. But you got to be consistent in the action and recognize that at the end of the day, everything's going to be okay. You just have to believe that it is and know that you're capable of seeing it through. We often talk about equanimity, right? Having that calmness in the face of adversity. And again, being so good with you that, that you can get through all of these difficult situations in your life. Yeah. Self-compassion. Yes, absolutely. Christine, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your time with us. How can people reach you? And do you work with people in the States? I don't. So with therapy licensing, it's strictly within the state or the province that you're in, though most some people might be in multiple states or provinces. Yeah. I, again, I'm from Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada. I provide online therapy for anyone in Ontario. So that's men and couples. You can reach me on my website. So that's olsonpsychotherapy.com. If you want to follow along on Instagram, I'm active on there. And so that is olson.psychotherapy. In the future, I hope to do other things. Like one of the things that I'm working on right now and in the works is for people who maybe can't afford therapy or they're not ready for it, or they just want to do some self-work. So I'm hoping to put together a package that people can just buy so they can follow along. So that would be able to be used across country and state lines. Yeah, that would be amazing. I was just going to ask you if you were going to dive into coaching and, and maybe put a course together or something like that. I think that would be extremely helpful. Yeah, and your content's amazing. It's so relatable. So guys, if you haven't taken the time to follow Christine, make sure you go check her out on Instagram, give her a follow, and then be on the lookout for anything new that she puts out for us. Yes, thank you for having me. This was great. Christine, thank you so much.